Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. It's an ancient legend about a dying king who had three sons. And this dying king loved his kingdom and he wanted to ensure that the son most qualified to serve as king would succeed him on the throne. So he asked his trusted servant to devise a test to determine which of these three sons should succeed him on the throne. And so the servant took the three sons out into the fields around the palace. And they came to a field that had a dead tree, and in the dead tree was a vulture. And the servant handed a bow and one arrow to the first son and said, shoot the vulture. And just as the son was about to let the arrow fly, the servant said, stop. First, tell me what you see. And the first son said, well, I, I, I see the sky, I see the earth, I see a dead tree. And the servant said, that's enough. And he handed the bow and one arrow to the second son and said, shoot the vulture. And just as the arrow was about to fly, the servant said, stop. First, tell me what you see. And the second son said, I see a dead tree eight feet from the, from the ground. There's a limb, four feet out on the limb is a vulture. And the servant said, that's enough. And he handed the bow and one arrow to the third son and said, shoot the vulture. And just before the third son was about to let the arrow fly, the servant said, stop. First, tell me what you see. And the third son said, I see the place where the wing joins the body. And the arrow flew and the vulture fell and the third son became king. Focus so easy for us to be distracted, eh? We major on minors. And we get caught up in things that are urgent without necessarily being important. Mary and Marta. Back in the days of eight-track tape cartridges, which was a big technological leap, Neil Diamond released an album that was surprisingly successful. He released it on vinyl. On one side were hits like Cracklin' Rosie, Cold Water Morning, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. The other side was called African Trilogy, and I don't know why, because there were six songs, not three. But they were these deeply earthy, spiritual-sounding songs like Suleiman, Child Song, I am the lion. And the album was called the Taproot Manuscript. Taproot? That's the tree root that goes most deeply 
into the soil and provides the most nourishment without the taproot, the tree is in danger. I saw that in Southern California. I was in Pasadena for several weeks working on a degree. One of the weekends, I rented a car and went west from Pasadena, and you can't go too far west from Pasadena. But I went up a mountain ridge into a valley, another ridge, another valley, and in that valley, there were trees lying all over the place. Dozens, dozens of trees. Hundred, perhaps. It looked like a big giant had reached in with his giant hand and picked up the trees and played pickup sticks. They were just strewn about. So I continued my drive. I went up another ridge, another valley, finally found this big body of water, and I pulled into an establishment and I ordered a beverage and I was chatting up the waitress. I said, you know, I just came over the mountain and I came through this valley and there's all these trees lying around. And she said, yeah, we had a windstorm the other night. And I said, well, you know, I'm from the Midwest. We get some wind there, like tornadoes and things like that, but I've never seen wind like that. That must have been an incredible storm said, no, not really, but see, we've had a drought. So the roots have shriveled, and the trees are trying to survive on surface roots, and they get by until the wind blows. Busy Marta. She lived in a village of Bethany with her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. And Jesus showed up, maybe at mealtime. And Martha went about the business of preparing a meal. And the scriptures do not tell us which of the two sisters was the older, but it certainly appears that Martha was the older. In fact, the gospel says it was, did you notice that, her house. And so she went into the kitchen to do what a hostess would do, and she expected Mary to come along and help, but there was no Mary. Mary didn't seem to be too interested in doing backup kitchen work, and Martha started to do this slow burn. And if, if Martha was like my mother, the pots would start to bang, and the cupboard doors would start to be closed a little more hard. And she's thinking, oh, who does she think she is? Is she, does she think she's too good to do this? I'm working my fingers to the bone. She's sitting there like her royal highness, the queen. Well, I will show her, hey, Jesus. What do you think about a sister who doesn't want to help? If you even care. Martha exploded. And poor Martha, she did not get the response that she expected. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, and that repetition of name is kind of a gentle chide, like it used to, oh, Max, Max, you know. I, sometimes I still get that. Martha, Martha, you see the ground and the sky and the tree. Mary sees the place where the wing join the body. She has chosen wisely. You are distracted by much serving. There is one thing needful. Taproot. Which is not sitting at Jesus' feet necessarily. We do that too. We say somehow Bible study is more important than serving. Not necessarily. The, the one thing needful is Jesus. Period. 
who says, come to me, know me, love me, don't do anything for me, no matter how righteous or noble it may appear. Just love me. And you know what? I don't want to go down some rabbit trail and get engaged in some idle speculation. Don't you think that's one of the reasons you and I were created in the first place? God didn't create us to do stuff. He already had angels doing useful things. Angels are much better doers. Nor did he create us to take care of this garden as if he was this gardener and, and the garden was the most important thing and he needed somebody to take care of it. Ah, he, just the other way around, he created the garden so Adam and Eve could have a laboratory in which they could work out what it means to be created in the image of God, to have dominion and to be creative. We were created not with just the capacity to be useful. We were created with the capacity to know him, to love him, to enjoy him. Nobody, you know, we don't have children in order to make life easier. Because guess what? They don't. <laughs> we just spent a few days with grandchildren. We're exhausted. Nobody ever said, hey, it'd be great to have somebody mow the lawn, let's have a baby. You know, maybe hundreds of years ago on a farm, it was helpful to raise some farm hands, but not anymore. Nor do we have children out of some selfish ambition to perpetuate ourselves. We have children as a natural extension of our being, and our greatest joy comes not when they mow the lawn, but in those rare moments when they might say to us, mom, dad, I love you. You know, if, if kids ever caught on to how little we really require in order for us to be happy, they'd realize they got it made. We are the very pinnacle of creation. You know, angels are more powerful, right? They, they float, they fly, they sing these wonderful doxologies, they flap their wings in joyous chorus, and there are marvelous things in the universe that, we, that can't even compare to these strange-looking bipeds we are. But we are the pinnacle of creation because we are created with the capacity to know and to love God. That's the taproot. That's the one thing needful. The call to be a follower of Jesus is a call to be a child of God in the fullest sense of that term, to know him, to love him. The whole point of life for a child of God is unbroken communion with God. The whole point of life for a child of God is to come to him and come to him and come to him until he is formed so completely within us that as Paul says in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm. Remember the story Jesus told about Judgment Day? Sheep and llamas. Oh, sorry. Just checking. Sheep and goats. And to the sheep he says, welcome. You get to be the sheep today. To the goats, sorry, he says, away. You know, to me, the most haunting part of that story is the lament of the goats? What do they say? Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in your name? 
These aren't the godless. These aren't the infidels. These aren't the atheists. These are people who thought they were doing the right thing. They had been so busy for the Lord. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. See, to me, we dishonor God in any attempt to do for him without first coming to him. And we rob ourselves of the immense joy that comes from knowing that the one thing that he wants from us is our hearts. And frankly, oh, am I going to do this? Well, now I'm going to. I think congregations do a huge disservice to themselves, to their members, and ultimately to the community by creating so much busyness. And it's always interesting to me how busyness and business are similar words. Busyness has the why. Why? Committees and roles and tasks, some of which are important. But we get so distracted by all of that stuff. I know I have choked. Those of you on the council, forgive me. I have joked this past year that we have spent more time in council meetings talking about donuts than anything else. Anything else. And you know what the big stressor has been? Fellowship. Who's in charge? Who's going to make the coffee? Who's going to pick the stuff up? Where do we order that stuff? Why don't we get stuff that's individually wrapped and we can keep it in the freezer forever and then we don't have to worry about it? Who's going to pay for this? We're a little behind. We're $49 behind on this. Who's going to clean the coffee pot? Maybe we can rotate the responsibility among different groups. Maybe the elder districts can take care of it. Marta, Marta. Which is fine. Donuts are fine. I like donuts. But you know, if we spent two hours talking donuts, how many minutes do you think we spent talking about getting people into the Word? We're so into busyness that we use people up to do stuff and they get stretched thinly, and then they get marthed out. In my little head, and I'm an old man, you know, in my little head, and I've seen a lot, in my little head, congregations have more members trying to subsist on surface roots than those whose roots go deeply into Jesus. And you know, it all works, it's all fine. Everything goes forward until the wind blows and there's some kind of storm, and then we topple and get strewn. Oh, and don't get me wrong, there are times when we serve without question, there are times when we are called to some task, but we do those things not for Jesus, but with him and in him. What does Paul say in Philippians 4.13, that passage that is so often quoted? I can do all things. What's the next word? 
in, in Christ Jesus. I can do all, not for, in. And there will be times when we are Martha-ing, and there will be times when we are teaching Sunday school, and there will be times when we are cleaning a coffee pot, and there will be times when we're delivering donuts. And there'll be times when we're singing in the choir, and there'll be times when we're serving on some committee, but those things flow out of relationship. God does not desire sacrifice or attempts at holiness or obedience to commandments. He wants so much more. He wants hearts. After all, that's what he's given. You know, we always get to the point in the sermon where I stand by Ruth. No. Where I get out of your way so that your eyes can go here. We lift the cross over and over as we should. We preach Christ crucified, this incredible event in which on one dark Friday afternoon, Jesus put the whole human race right back as it should have been. Today, let's look a little farther than the cross. Let's, let's look to what prompted the cross. Why was Jesus offered as sacrifice? Love, love for you, love for me. What prompted the father to wrap his son in flesh and lay him in a manger in the crook of a young girl's arm from Nazareth and then nail him to a cross? Love for you, for me. And this God with his staggering love, with his arms fully extended to embrace you and me and all of our sinfulness and restore us to holiness, says to us, will you love me? Will you come to me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's the one thing needful. That's the place where the wing joins the body. That's the taproot. The root that provides such deep nourishment we can withstand any windstorm. And so be it. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ our King. Amen.